Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is August 10th, 2023, and I'm joined in studio today by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Dr. Matthews, we're going to be talking about one of your recent pieces uh, that you published in The Hill mm-hmm. about who is the most Reagan-esque of the GOP presidential candidate. So as we record this, uh, as we record this podcast, we have a number of people who are running for the Republican nomination for president. Mm-hmm. We have a debate coming up in a couple of weeks. August 23rd. And, um, n- you know, you and I are old enough to have remembered and lived through the Ronald Reagan years. And mm-hmm. we, you know, I think you and I probably both sort of see that as like the high point of the Republican coalition, right. at least in recent history. And, you know, there, there are people who would say that Ronald Reagan was the last president they voted for. Other presidents they have voted against in mm. terms of, of Democratic. But, but that was the last one they really vote eagerly and uh, voted for. Right. So you ask this question, and you, you go through the list of the nominees, but you ask this question, who's the most Reagan-esque of the current nominees? But bef- before we get to your ranking, which is really interesting, it's not a ranking, before we get to your discussion, which is interesting, I think we should acknowledge that Reagan-esque isn't necessarily a selling point these days. I think that's correct. There are a lot of a lot of people on in the Republican Party who refer to like zombie Reaganism, and they want something different. Mm-hmm. They they think Reaganism, even if they think it was right for its time, it's not right now. And a lot of the nominees implicitly, if not explicitly, sort of reject a lot of the things that Ronald Reagan endorsed. So it may or may not be the path to success for the Republican nomination to be Reagan-esque. But again, because because I think that because I think that if you look at the issues that IPI cares about in IPI's perspective, it is very much a Reagan-esque perspective that we take. And so we can't help but look at this field and ask sort of the question, you know, who in this field is the most Reagan-esque? And, and, you know, issues change to some extent over time and attitudes change to some extent. My own sense is that many of the people who have joined in the Republican Party who are, let's say, would like to like to get move on past Reagan are some of the Tea Party people and others who came in, who are sort of Johnny-come-latelys into the party and have have come into the party in large part either because of the Tea Party or because Donald Trump appealed to them. Yeah. And now they've sort of taken over at least a, a strong segment of the party, and they like the Trump approach as opposed to the Reagan approach. Yeah, Ronald Reagan was was populist in one sense and not populist in another sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, maybe what you would say is that Ronald Reagan was popular but not populist. That's probably right because yeah. he was principled. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard for a principled person to be a populist because a populist, by definition, is looking at what the population wants, what the public wants, and tries to give that to them versus what principles sort of require, and you try to put that into maybe a popular framework. There's another distinction that I would make. This is all sort of setting up your piece here, but the other distinction I would make is that populism tends to be against things. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ronald Reagan was for things. Uh, populism is against 
big corporations. It's against the elite. It's against the establishment. Populism very often wants to tear down. It wants to undo. It, it's, it's an oppositional mindset, whereas Reagan's mindset and Reaganism was not in opposition to something other than the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it was opposed to communism. But, but Reaganism was very sunny and optimistic and positive about the future of America, whereas populism tends to be sort of a dark, negative, things are bad, we're angry, we're opposed to stuff. But the other thing that Reagan was generally opposed to was big government. And that mm-hmm. that came through as he talked about uh, how government oftentimes, you know, you, you have, if you create a new committee, a new commission, new agency, it never dies. Yep. The, some of the best Reagan quotes are anti-government, right? Like the famous one about how, you know, the scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government <laughs> and I'm here to help you. He famously said in his first inauguration expe- speech that, the, you know, the problem we face right now is government. Mm-hmm. Government is the problem we face. Right. And the, and the closest thing to uh, et, uh, being eternal or never ending is a Reagan is, is, is a government is a program. Government program. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So wh- I, what I do is I go through and just point out some things that that we, you could highlight with Reagan and and why those make a difference. And so the first thing I point out is. Then this sounds trite, but he could win elections. Mm-hmm. And this is really important. You can have all kinds of candidates come up saying, I want to do this and that, but can you win elections? Ronald Reagan run, uh, won twice as governor of California. He ran and won twice as um, president of the United States. He never lost an election. Right. He, he very closely lost the nomination to Gerald Ford right. in 1976, but he never lost an election. He never lost an election, and he, ran by, he won by pretty good margins mm-hmm. on that. And, and I point that out because it's not just winning the first election. Winning the re-election is really important because at that point, you've been in office, whether it's two, four years, whatever, you're, uh, whatever you mm-hmm. ran for, and now people have a chance to look at your record not only what you're promising to do, but what did you accomplish when you were in office? And this is my the, sort of the sadness that I feel, you know, I feel envious for folks that are younger than me in some ways. But the sadness that I feel for them is that they, they didn't get to experience a Republican president who won re-election by winning 49 states. Mm-hmm. That seems almost unimaginable today because so many of our presidential elections have been so close and the Electoral College. And when Ronald Reagan ran for re-election, he won 49 states. Mm-hmm. Those were the days. That's when you get a majority. And, and a, a few states where you want to, uh, if you want to contest it, doesn't make a difference because you won so many states. And, and part of the, you know, I'm going to emphasize several times in the course of this podcast, the fact that, that Reagan was just so winsome and mm-hmm. appealing of a human being. He was positive. He was sunny. He believed in things. He believed in people. Um, and people tend to forget that Reagan accomplished everything he accomplished with a Democrat-controlled House of Representatives. Sometimes the Senate was Republican, and sometimes it wasn't. But the House of Representatives, the entire eight years of the Reagan presidency, was controlled by the opposing party. So most of the current crop of GOP candidates, presidential candidates, have won, have have run uh, election, have run on elections, and have won re-election. So several of them have proven that they can win an election and then come back and win re-election. 
Donald Trump is one of the few who right. who who did one win one election very closely and didn't win re-election. Yeah, so, barely barely winning winning election your first time mm-hmm. and losing your second time is not the Reagan model. Especially when the power of the incumbency typically carries you over. I mean, there have been times when we thought, how can Barack Obama win re-election? And he did. Yep. Uh, just because of his, the incumbency and the power that you have in doing mm-hmm. that really gives you, a, stacks the deck in your favor. Yep. So the second thing, and you've already sort of hinted this, Reagan was called the great communicator. He could give speeches that people listened to and appreciated and had quotes in there that we remember for decades and, and go back and cite for decades to come. It's over the past, oh, really, in the 2000s, or even the early 2010s, uh, it was common for Republican candidates, especially presidential candidates, to stand up and say, as Ronald Reagan said, mm-hmm. and they would cite him. And that was, that was proof enough for your point. <laughs> proven up to, your point that they Reagan, were going yeah. back and because they were trying to say, Ronald, I agree, and Ronald Reagan and I agree on things, so I'm sort of in that Reagan mode. Mm-hmm. Now, people sometimes dismiss that, said, well, hey, he was just an actor. I mean, he was an actor. He, he was just acting up there. But I point out a lot of actors try to go and communicate to the public and just flop at it. Ronald Reagan had the ability to bring both his his style and his substance together with his skills at communication to be able to reach out and actually inspire an awful lot of people. Mm-hmm. The, you know, Reagan, of course, was an actor. Mm-hmm. And so, and then after his acting career was over, he traveled the country giving speeches. So he certainly did have the background in communication before he had a background in politics. And I, I think it's interesting now because so many times now we have our politicians who all they've ever done is politics. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, from for the time they got out of law school or whatever, they've been a politician and they haven't done anything else. They haven't done anything else to build on, whereas Reagan actually was a great communicator first before he ever decided to go into politics. Yeah, and you can certainly say that his attempts at being a communicator for several years before he went into politics probably helped him in the communications, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't, it it may help you. It may give you some skills, but that doesn't sort of wipe out the fact that he was able to make that communication. And it wasn't just how he said it. It was what he said. He put the two together to come to to create really good presentations and speeches that people listen to. Look, I think that's right. I think that you can be a good communicator and if you're trying to sell a crappy message, you're probably not going to succeed. So Reagan was the conjunction of a good communicator who also had a message that was appealing to the American people, to the American electorate. And that gets to my my third point here. He didn't just go out and talk in platitudes. He was actually a fairly deep policy thinker. Mm-hmm. And this came about because he spent about four years, 1975 to 1978. So fully, he, he, that was covered most of those four years. So it's really four years. And he presented 1,207 of his radio commentaries, daily radio commentaries, to an audience of 20 to 30 million people. People around America listened to the radio, and they would listen to those commentaries, including me. I heard him on many days, including me. I mean, this is uh, you know I, when I when I've asked when I've been asked, this is my story that I became a conservative, sitting around the breakfast table listening to Ronald Reagan's morning commentaries, mm-hmm. and he explained the world to me as a kid in a way that made sense. 
And people sometimes criticize him saying, well, he just has somebody writing those for him. No, in fact, he wrote the vast majority of them. And we have, we've got video and we've got uh, uh, pictures of something like 679 that mm-hmm. he hand wrote on his own uh legal yellow tablet, Mm -hmm. and he went through and he would make corrections in there and he'd strike out this and add this and so forth. We can go and see his thinking as he writes these things out. He was the one producing these things, and so they were genuine and they were really a reflection of what he was thinking at the time. I was thinking just while you were talking about this issue of the, the fact that he was principled and also a good communicator, right? And there is a sense in which Truth and principles don't change, but the way you apply them and the way you communicate them does change, right? Because circumstances change, facts mm-hmm. on the ground change. But but truth and principles don't change. And so I think this is sort of the the retort to this issue of, you know, zombie Reaganism and, you know, we need something different. I fundamentally disagree with that. I fundamentally would argue that Reagan's principles were the right principles. They, 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 whether it was in our international affairs or whether it was in our domestic affairs, whether it was economic, whether it was national security, whether it was defeating the Soviet Union, those principles worked. Now, we, there may be different applications today, but this anytime someone wants, anytime someone on the right feels this need to try to distance from Ronald Reagan, I'm automatically suspicious. And that also sort of, that that also sort of affects this idea of which of these candidates is Reagan-esque and which of them are not. If you're going out of your way to try to distance from the legacy of Ronald Reagan, I'm sorry, but my suspicions are automatically aroused by something like that. And, you know, the, the, the what we're talking about here isn't necessarily Reagan. We aren't saying Reagan spent this much time in the green room preparing or putting on makeup or something. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is just basic concepts, basic principles, basic elements of a candidate. And so the next one, and you sort of hinted at this, Reagan embraced free market economics. And this was, it it may be hard for our listeners to realize this, but it was a radical change from what we had seen through uh, decades that that really had reached out and uh, embraced John Maynard Keynes. Reagan went the opposite direction, embracing free markets. Uh, freedom, uh, generally free trade principles, limited government, low taxes, those types of things, principles put out by uh, Milton Friedman and Frederick, Frederick Hayek, as opposed to the John Maynard Keynes, even Richard Nixon. I mean, Richard Nixon imposed price controls on yeah. the country, yeah. took us off the gold standard. Even if you want to say Richard Nixon was sort of a conservative out there, Ronald Reagan goes one step further because he would never embrace those things. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Richard Nixon was a conservative. He was certainly a Republican. He was a law and order guy. I'm I'm not sure that you'd call him a conservative. But on the other hand, the whole definition of conservative got redefined by Reagan, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, you're exactly right that Reagan embraced a different economic vision. He he actually went back to the economic vision, frankly, of John F. Kennedy, and. Reagan prioritized the American people over the American government. And another famous quote from, from Reagan's first inaugural address is that we are a country with a government, mm-hmm. but they're not the same thing. And so Reagan was always on the side of the people, and he wanted people to be free, and he wanted people to be unencumbered by government. He didn't want government holding people back. He didn't want government holding businesses back. 
And that's why under Reagan, you saw dramatic tax cuts. You saw a dramatic pullback in regulation. And it was so dramatic that, that the former editor of the Wall Street Journal, Robert Bartley, wrote a book about it called The Seven Fat Years. Mm-hmm. And he compared those the Reagan years to like the Old, Old Testament story in Egypt about Joseph in Egypt, right, where there were going to be seven fat years and there were going to be seven lean years. And in, in Robert Bartley's telling, the Reagan years were the seven fat years. When everything went well, the economy went well, it was extremely productive, income went up, wealth creation went up, the country's GDP went up. Taxes went down Taxes twice. went down, that's exactly right. Uh, so those policies worked. Now, Reagan, of course, when we talk about the Reagan tax cuts, we have to acknowledge that when Reagan came into office, taxes were pretty high. Yes. Marginal tax rates are pretty high. Today, they're not so high. So there may be, by emulating Reagan, there may be some diminishing return just simply because tax rates are not as high as they used to be. Mm-hmm. But the principle is still the same, that you want to minimize government's role in the economy and maximize the role of the private sector, and that that is the, rec- that is the recipe for success and productivity. And I want to stress how it has flipped again. So Reagan flipped it, but it flipped again. And, and I remember you in the 2000s once— once actually Barack Obama comes in, 2009, you said, you know, we, we had Reagan's economic principles had sort of set the, the standard and nobody was going to go and change back. We, we know what works now. Yeah. And yet Barack Obama came in and flipped it back. It was shocking when, when Barack Obama was on the campaign trail and he, and he he's literally spoke positively about spreading the wealth around. Mm-hmm. And he said positive things about, you know, I kind of think, you know, it makes some sense to take from the rich and give to the poor and spread the wealth around. And that was such a dramatic shift in mentality from everything that had come before. Even, even um, you know, even uh, Bill Clinton did not attempt to defy sort of the basic Reaganomic approach to the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Obama who did. It was Obama who came in and said, you know, no, that, that we don't want to do that trickle-down stuff. We, we want to spread the wealth around and all that sort of thing. And you go back and you look at what's happened to the economic growth of this country since then, and it's been lower, not higher. And I also wanted to, the, the uh, next thing I stressed in there was that Reagan sort of reasserted U.S. global leadership. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you're the world's police force. It doesn't mean you're trying to intervene in everything. It means you become the leader of the world because we're the, we're the strongest economy, but we also have the strongest principles out there. And as a result, you had the Soviet U- Union begin its demise and collapse shortly after Reagan left office. You had we were we were had a working relationship with China. China's changed a good bit since then, but. We had a good working relationship and you saw it, it. He just conveyed an attitude of strength in America. You had prior to Reagan, you had this idea that America's in decline. And Jimmy Carter really fed that. And it was both domestic and international. Internationally, you, you people were still we were still smarting from Vietnam for the mm-hmm. bad experience of Vietnam. Uh, we were embarrassed about the taking of the hostages in Iran. Mm-hmm. We were and our inability to be able to do I anything was just saying, about it. We were triple secret embarrassed about the fact that we mounted a lame rescue attempt that didn't work. There was an attitude of defeatism in the U.S. economy. Inflation, stagflation had been persistent. Right. And Americans were losing confidence in America. 
both internationally and domestically economically. And Reagan came along and said, the world is a better place when America's strong. And what Reagan did to make America strong worked. And the, the, the ripples, they weren't ripples, it was like a, it was like a tidal wave that, that affected both domestically the U.S. economy and also internationally, mm-hmm. that America was back. We were back dominant on the world stage. And you had, at the same time, communism in Eastern Europe and in the Soviet Union collapses. Mm-hmm. China sees no option but to, but to adopt capitalism economically, right? right? So, so the impact of Reagan's positive view of, of the American ideal not only affected us domestically, but it also had a dramatic impact in the global economy, in the, in, in the global geopolitical scene. So my sixth point there, which is, I, I think, really relevant this time, is that he did all these things. He entered these in a very difficult situation with Democrats nipping at his heels, but he did it all with grace and dignity. He was, he was upbeat. He was polite, happy warrior idea. Mm-hmm. He would smile and have a good time with people, but he had a way of being able to disagree without really being disagreeable. And it's, it's important to point out that then Democratic Senator Joe Biden voted for bipartisan legislation that Ronald Reagan was sponsoring. Yep. And Tip O'Neill, very Democratic Speaker of the House, they, they weren't great friends, but they had a, a reasonable working relationship. They had respect for each other. And, and they understood where, where each one's power was, and they worked with that. And we seem to have gotten away from that now to where we've gotten, at least with some candidates, name-calling and just just being rude and uh, uh, aggressive against even other Republicans. I, I think this is so important. You, you used the phrase happy, happy warrior, right? Ronald Reagan was at almost all times smiling, laughing, positive, exuberant, joking, uh, famously, he was joking from his hospital bed a- after he was nearly killed by an assassin. About whether the doctors were Democrats or exactly, Republicans. Exactly. Um, he just exuded positivity and optimism about America, the American people. He had a, a faith in the American people that you 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 almost couldn't help but be persuaded by it. Even if you had sort of, even if you had sort of a pessimistic attitude, you kind of couldn't help but get sort of swept up in Reagan's optimism and positivity. And he he was winsome. And even his opponents knew they if 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 they could not go head to head against Ronald Reagan in front of the American people, they would lose. So it so it was so much so that when the time came when they were arguing before a debate about the microphone and Reagan said I paid for this microphone. That's right. He he sort of asserted a little bit of temper flare mm-hmm. there. It became a talking point because it was so rare to see that. Yeah, you never saw flashes of temper. You never saw flashes or rarely saw flashes of that. And I I thought that was actually kind of good because it pointed out that he actually could assert himself like that. In some cases, if he really needed yeah, to, he yeah. could he could lose his temper in some cases. So let, let's do a couple more things on this podcast. First of all, uh, I, I do think we ought to discuss some of the specific candidates and talk about how they fare, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> with these criteria that you've laid out. But I, I think there's a really I, I think that the contrast between Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump is dramatic. Right. I think it's dramatic, and I think Republicans who think that Donald Trump 
somehow came up with a new winning formula for winning elections are deluding themselves. Again, I want to remind people that Ronald Reagan won a commanding first term election. So and much he, so that Jimmy Carter conceded when uh, something like only half the states. Yeah, I mean, the, the sun was still up when yeah. Jimmy Carter conceded. He, he knew it. Right. He saw it. And then for re-election, Ronald Reagan won 49 out of 50 states, okay? That's somebody who has figured out how to build a winning coalition, okay? Now, you contrast that with Donald Trump, who won by the skin of his teeth the first election against one of the most hated politicians in America. He was mm-hmm. running against Hillary Clinton, one of the most hated politicians in America, and won essentially a fluke election. 12,000 votes here, 16,000 votes there, 22,000 votes there. Three states that generally vote Democratic. Exactly. And as we have pointed out on a previous podcast, that had the uh, uh, had the uh, Jill Stein not been running in that election, right. he might very well have lost it. Exactly. So... Trump gets credit for that. He gets credit for winning. Mm-hmm. But it was a it was not some sort of a new formula for Republicans to win the White House. It was a skin of the teeth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then four years later for re-election, he does not win. He simply does not win. So if you want to put your money on the Trump model, I will put my money on the Reagan model any day of the week. Yeah, and, and we point out he not only lost those three states that are sort of in contention, uh Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. He lost two Republican-leaning states, Arizona and Georgia, Georgia. which could easily, which could easily have gone Republican, and often did go Republican in presidential elections. That's exactly right. So, if you if you think about Reagan, not everybody loved Reagan. Okay, Reagan was ridiculed by the left-leaning major media. Uh, the Doonesbury cartoonist Gary Trudeau used to love ridiculing Reagan in the, mm-hmm. in the in the comics and stuff like that. Reagan was not universally loved, but he was supported by a significant enough portion of the population that he could get things done. He didn't turn anybody off. He certainly didn't go out of his way to turn anybody off or to alienate anybody. And that's an important point because elections are won by independents. Yeah. You, Republicans and, and Democrats are roughly the same number. And so you, you got that, you've got to be able to attract independents right. in order to be able to do that. And Reagan was the first to bring in blue-collar workers. They called it the bubble vote. And we called them, we, and, and Reagan Democrats, mm-hmm. right? You, you, had, you, had, you had historical voters who were Democrats, but they voted for Ronald Reagan. Now, you contrast that with sort of the, t- the Trump mode, which seems to be to turn off as many people as possible. Like, it's to alienate women, alienate young people, alienate suburbs, uh, and just, like, try to just win on intensity of your core base rather than breadth. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I just want to just say just plainly. That has proven to not be a winning formula. You, you cannot win with that. You've right. got to be able to attract a certain percentage of independents. So I'll, I'll put my chips on the Reagan model any day against the Trump model. Now let's talk about, for a couple minutes, about some of the candidates and just sort of get our opinions about, let's answer your question. Mm-hmm. Okay, which of them is the most Reagan-esque? Which of the current field do you think are the most Reagan-esque? Uh, from my standpoint, I would say Tim Scott. I would say Mike Pence. Though... It, Tim Scott probably is closer than Mike Pence. Mike Pence doesn't seem to have the strength that I, so I, I think Scott he used to. Tim has Scott has the sunny optimism down pat. Sunny optimism yeah. down pat. One re-election. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he certainly brings new elements to the uh, to the uh, mm-hmm. to the White House if he were elected. So the others, Nikki Haley, she's certainly had she's won re-election. She has also been at the UN, so she should have some international gravitas, at least understanding of, of issues. And she might be able to do that, but I'm not sure that that's the she's going to be the best candidate. And then, of course, DeSantis tends to be a little more like Trump in a yeah, lot of ways. I wouldn't consider DeSantis to be Reagan-esque. And, I, and so that's that's why I'm not. And, and DeSantis isn't doing that well right now. He may change that, but he's really sort of disappointed a lot of people in how he's been able to respond and yeah. and work with others. DeSantis might still be. Republicans best bet in this cycle, but Mm -hmm. I I don't think you would call him. He's not pursuing a Reagan-esque model. Right. Uh, And I think that Tim Scott has the Reagan attitude. And I think Nikki Haley has the Reagan policy positions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it it almost seems like somehow we would need to fuse the two of them together to truly be like Reagan. Which Uh, may not be impossible. Well, (laughs) you you know, you could end up with both of them as president and vice president, right? Although it would be weird to have two people from the same state. Yes. And I think you're right about Pence. I don't mean to like ambush you in the middle of a live podcast here, but was Pence in Congress while Reagan was president or did Pence come afterward? No, he came after. He came afterward. Yeah, he didn't come in until 2001, I think. Okay, so he never served with Reagan. Okay. Pence doesn't have, I would say that Pence doesn't have Reagan's energy. That's probably right. And there, there are several people who don't have Reagan's energy, yeah. though I have seen Pence when he does in times past. Reagan lit up a room, and you and I both think very highly of Mike Pence. You and I both have known him personally, met him personally, um, but he doesn't light up a room like Reagan did. Right. He doesn't and have the mag- personal magnetism. That's that's part of the problem, I think. Yeah. So So Pence has the positions, but not the personal magnetism. Tim Scott has the sunny optimism, but maybe not the policy depth. Ron DeSantis is probably trying to be a little more Trump-esque yeah. than Reagan-esque. Yeah. And Nikki Haley probably has Reagan's positions, uh, but just not, does it, again, does it light up a room like Mike Pence doesn't light up a room? Mm-hmm. I mean, Reagan lit up a room. You, you knew you were in the presence of greatness when you were around Ronald Reagan. Interesting. Well, again, let's let's conclude by acknowledging that Reaganism might not be the path to success in this particular election cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to see somebody try. <laughs> and I I think the points, the six points I highlighted here. You could be even a little more Trump-esque and, and still have sort of those, those six elements sure. in there. Sure. But because a number of them have won re-election and some of them are, can communicate well, but we just haven't seen that great communicator, that person that's going to really personify strong leadership. Let's give Trump his due. Trump is a great communicator. He is a very good communicator. Okay. He, uh, he, to is, certain people. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the problem. He is a good communicator Towards some some people absolutely love his speeches. We've never seen anything like the rallies right. that happened right. at Trump's speeches. He's absolutely a great communicator. But, but he turns off as many or more people than he See, this is the thing. At a, very, at a very fundamental level, I think they're opposite. I think Reagan was winsome, and Trump is off-putting. And I, I think at a very fundamental level, they're just their personalities are so different. But I, I do want to give Trump his due. On at least one of these standards— he is a great communicator, mm-hmm. so let's give him that. Well, you may disagree, and we understand that. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to share your thoughts, you can 
Give us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. You can leave your comments. You can go to IPI's website and you can email either me or Dr. Matthews personally and tell us what you thought about our, our thoughts today. We would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org. You can sign up there if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new podcasts, new content, and upcoming events. You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.